Section 22 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 2, Book 3, Chapter 3, Lizards, Part 2, by W. Seville Kent. The family group of the monitors includes the largest of existing lizards, notably the semi-aquatic form common to North Australia and the Malay Peninsula and adjacent islands, which attains a length of 8 or 10 feet, and is not infrequently mistaken as it rushes on being disturbed through the reeds and other rank herbage to the water for a young crocodile. An exceedingly fine and well-set-up example of these huge water monitors shot by Captain Stanley Flower in the neighborhood of Singapore is placed in the Reptile Gallery of the Natural History Museum. Another species indigenous to the southern Australian states and having essentially arboreal habits commonly attains to a length of five or six feet. The skin of one example of this species, obtained for the writer from the eucalyptus forests in Gippsland, Victoria, measures no less than seven feet long. With reference to the elegant lace-like pattern of its skin markings, this species is frequently associated with the suggestive title of the lace lizard. Among the more illiterate settlers, it is generally known as a guana, the name being obviously a corruption of iguana, and being, as a matter of fact, applied promiscuously, and in all cases incorrectly, to a number of the larger Australian lizards. All the members of the monitor tribe are inveterate egg-eaters. An Egyptian species, the Nile monitor, renders service to humanity through the gratification of this propensity in seeking out and devouring the eggs of a crocodile. The larger water monitor of the North Australian and Malay regions has been reported to the writer to be particularly partial to the eggs of the turtle, digging them out of the sand in which the parent deposits them, and destroying them wholesale. The more strictly arboreal southern Australian species preys to a very large extent on birds' eggs, climbing to the holes in the trunks and branches in which so many Australian birds build their nests and not infrequently capturing and devouring also the parent birds and young. In the bush settlements, this monitor is notorious for its depredations among the hen roosts, both eggs and young chickens falling victims to its insatiable appetite. It is consequently regarded with but scant favor by poultry farmers, who frequently organize a guana hunt for its special destruction. If surprised down in the open... The quarry at once rushes for a tree and manifests the most remarkable agility in swarming up the smooth, massive trunk and in dodging round to the side opposite to that on which the sportsman approaches. Not infrequently, trees being remote, the monitor will make for what appears to its apprehension the best substitute for one, viz., the upright figure of the nearest sportsman. Should this happen to be a new chum enjoying his maiden essay in guana hunting, he will undoubtedly experience a new sensation as the animal, with its sharp cat-like claws, unceremoniously scrambles up to his head and shoulders. Brought to bay, 
A monitor possesses a more formidable weapon than its teeth and claws wherewith to repulse the onslaught of the enemy. The long, tough, thong-like tail, not brittle and replaceable, as in many other lizards, is converted, for the time being, into a veritable stock whip, wherewith it will most severely punish incautious aggressors who venture too near. The potency of this offensive and defensive weapon is fully recognized by the reptile keepers at the zoo, who freely admit their reluctance to enter the cage of one of these large, long-tailed, but conversely very short-tempered monitors. All of the monitors, in consonance with their preeminently carnivorous habits, are more or less savage and intractable. The several species which have fallen within the writer's cognizance proved no exception to the rule. An Egyptian example, injudiciously introduced to the select society of his extensive miscellaneous collection in a heated greenhouse, proved to be a veritable wolf in the fold, killing several of the choicest specimens before its vindictive propensities were detected and arrested. A comparatively small and rare spiny-tailed monitor brought by the writer in company with the frilled lizards to England from northwest Australia would harass and bite any other lizard placed with it and resent every friendly overture on the part of its owner, even after so much as a whole twelve months' persistent attempts to tame it. Another, the South Australian monitor, or lace lizard was no exception to the rule and had to be maintained in solitary confinement. This particular specimen, nevertheless, evinced, as the following anecdote will show, a very pronounced affection for its provided quarters. One day it effected its escape from the wire-enclosed cage with which it was accommodated in the writer's Brisbane garden, and after prolonged but unsuccessful searchings it was given up for lost. Considerable astonishment was naturally experienced some ten days later, when the animal was discovered in the garden making frantic attempts to regain access to its former prison house. During its ten days' absence, it had evidently fallen upon evil times, for not only was it in a very emaciated condition, but also bereft of its long and handsome tail. Apparently, after the manner of its tribe, it had been manifesting a too warm interest in some neighbor's hen-roost and received across its tail a stroke with a spade or other cutting instrument that was intended for a more vital region. Disgusted by such unfriendly treatment, it evidently determined that free board and lodging at the hands of its former owner, albeit with a sacrifice of freedom, was a pleasanter line of life than liberty and a precarious commissariat with added bodily risks, an almost identical episode of the voluntary return to captivity of an escaped monitor has been reported to the writer of a species from Borneo by Dr. G. D. Haviland. The monitors, as a rule, are not distinguished for brilliancy of coloring, shades and mottlings of brown or black being usually dominant. The male of the Australian lace lizard, after newly changing its coat, is, however, an exception. In addition to the highly ornate, lace-like, reticulated pattern of its skin markings, previously referred to, the throat of the animal is resplendent with mingled tints of sky blue and lemon yellow. 
It is necessary, however, to observe that its natural surroundings and the ardent rays of a subtropical sun are requisite to bring these brighter tints to their full development. Examples kept in close confinement in the London Zoological Gardens yield little or no indication of their color potentialities. While the monitor family is not represented on the American continent, we find there another group of lizards whose members are of considerable size and agree in their carnivorous propensities and general habits in a marked manner with the monitors. These are the grieved lizards, named with reference to the peculiar skin folding on their legs. One of the largest and most familiarly known representatives of this group is the Teguexan, or diamond lizard, indigenous to the greater portion of tropical South America and also to the West Indies. This lizard attains to a total length of a yard or more, and is of a robust and thick-set build, with the hind limbs much longer and stouter than the front ones. The color of the Teguexan is also notable, the ground tint being olive or tawny yellow, upon which are superimposed black bands and markings which for the most part take a transverse direction. Like the monitors, the Teguexan in captivity exhibits a sulky and aggressive disposition and cannot be safely kept in company with other less powerful species. The attribute of bipedal locomotion is possessed by the Teguexan. That this singular method of progression was an accomplishment possessed by one of the larger tropical American lizards was first reported to the writer from Trinidad. Some species of iguana was, in the first instance, anticipated to be the acrobatic performer. Several examples of this family group were accordingly put through their paces at the zoo to ascertain if they could lay claim to the distinction. None of the iguanas available, however, rose on their hind legs to the occasion, and it was only on experimenting as a dernier resource with a Teguexan that a successful demonstration was accomplished. This lizard was found, in fact, to run bipedally more freely and persistently when sufficient space was allotted it than the agamas. It seems singular that this bipedal power of locomotion should have so long remained undiscovered, and yet is possessed by lizards which have for a number of years been the denizens of many zoological gardens and other menageries. The fact that a comparatively large level area is a sine qua non for the exhibition of this phenomenon affords no doubt the explanation of this anomaly, but the anomaly itself at the same time serves to accentuate the desirability in the interests of both science and the animal's comfort that exists for providing them in captivity with a more liberal and reasonably sufficient space for their indulgence in those methods of locomotion that are natural to them in their native land. The grieved lizard family includes somewhat over 100 species, while the majority agree with the Teguexan in the possession of well-developed limbs, there are a few retrograde forms in which the hinder limbs are entirely absent or the front ones reduced to mere stumps. These exceptional instances pave the way to the family of the amphibians, in which such or a still lower phase of limb development represents the normal condition. The amphibians are remarkable for their worm-like resemblance and for the circumstances that they live like earthworms in burrows, that their eyes are functionless, being concealed beneath the skin, and that they are without ears. Other details of structure indicate a most rudimentary condition of development, 
and they consequently rank as the lowest group in the lizard series. Another peculiarity of the amphibians is that, in place of scales, the skin of the body is divided into square segments, which form symmetrical rings like those of worms. In addition to this, these retrograde lizards possess the worm-like faculty of being able to move backwards and forwards in their burrows with equal facility. It is from this peculiar property that their title of amphisbina, signifying moving both ways, is derived. The representatives of this family, including between 60 and 70 species, are widely distributed, being found in America, the West Indies, Africa, and also European countries that border the Mediterranean. While the Teguexans present resemblances in one direction with the amphibians, or worm-like lizards, the higher or monitor-like forms have much in common with the typical or true lizards, of which two small but well-known species, the sand and viviparous lizards, are indigenous to the British Isles. All the members of the true lizards, numbering some hundred species, are inhabitants of the Old World, becoming scarce, however, towards the far east of the Asiatic continent. All possess shapely bodies and well-developed limbs with five-toed feet, and are remarkable for the extreme activity of their movements, and in many cases, brilliant coloring. The varying individual shades of the green lizard's brilliant emerald body are almost infinite, no two being quite precisely alike in this respect. In some, a yellower, and others a bluer green predominates, while the females and young are more or less mottled or striped with brown. The undersurface of the body is usually a more or less bright yellow, and the throat, and the males more particularly, at the breeding season is frequently brilliant blue. The more conspicuous color differences exhibited by this lizard are, however, intimately associated with the local habitat of the particular race. Those indigenous to Spain and Portugal, for example, are more or less ornamented with oscillated spots along the sides of the head and body, while those peculiar to Eastern Europe and Asia Minor are, in the young condition more particularly, marked with longitudinal streaks, but their throat is never blue. The green lizard is one of the most beautiful of its tribe, and although not indigenous to Great Britain, is common in the Channel Islands. In Jersey, more especially during the summer months, it is one of the most familiar of the common objects of the country, as it darts in and out of the hedgerows after flies and other insects, or basks in the bright sunshine on some stone wall, with its emerald green body flattened out in order to absorb the greatest possible amount of heat. As the colder autumn days advance, this lizard is rarely visible, and it finally retires into some rocky cleft or burrow in the hedge bank, and is no more seen until the return of spring. Green lizards, liberated in suitably mild spots in the south of England, have been known to thrive for brief periods, but succumb to the cold of an extra-severe winter. The largest representatives of the green lizard are those inhabiting eastern Europe and Asia Minor, where in size and color they almost imperceptibly merge into the pearly or oscillated lizard. This very handsome species, which in company with examples of the green lizard, is frequently imported by London dealers, ranges from 16 inches to close upon 2 feet in length. In form, it is stouter and more robust than a typical green lizard, the head and the old males more particularly being exceptionally massive. 
whatever may be lacking in grace of form is however fully compensated for by brilliancy of coloring no other lizard in fact outrivaling it in this respect to the brilliant shagreen pattern emerald green hues of the jersey species it has superadded along its sides eye-like spots of brilliant turquoise or ultramarine with dark brown or black encircling lines in the males the green ground color has a more distinctly golden hue while in the young individuals the body is more usually olive color dotted throughout with whitish or pearly blue black-edged spots this beautiful lizard is unfortunately somewhat irascible in temper and will not as a rule allow itself to be handled as freely as the majority of the members of its tribe when biting moreover it has a tendency to fasten itself upon the object seized with bulldog-like tenacity a grip from a powerful jawed old male being a somewhat unpleasant experience in addition to insects the oscillated lizard will prey upon any other small animals it can overpower including the members of its own species it is consequently not safe to entrust it in the company of other lizards of less size and strength the skink family which next invites attention contains no less than four hundred known species and climatic conditions being favorable enjoys an almost cosmopolitan distribution the majority of its members have stoutish cylindrical bodies with relatively short limbs and tail the legs are sometimes reduced to two only or altogether aborted giving the animal a snake-like form the common or medicinal skink so called since it was regarded in the middle ages as an infallible medicinal nostrum is an inhabitant of north africa and notable for its adaption to a sand burrowing existence the body is short cylindrical exceedingly smooth through the close apposition of the minute surface scales and sharply conical at each extremity the well-developed toes of all four feet are flattened and serrated at their edges in such a manner that they constitute most effective burrowing tools in the loose sand these lizards frequent the length of the skink rarely exceeds three or four inches its color is rather exceptional for a lizard but at the same time in keeping with its predominating subterranean habits the ground tint in the living examples in the writer's possession one of which is photographed on page 579 was a light yellowish white like that of old polished ivory with here and there a pale flesh pink tinge on the under surface this light tint was persistent while the back was traversed by some twelve broadish bands of pale slate gray the skink does not like the mole and the amphibians obtain its food from subterranean sources it comes out to bask on the surface of the sand when the sun is at its height and keeps a brisk lookout for flies or other insects which if they approach sufficiently near are pounced upon with remarkably agility should the sky become overcast or any cause for alarm manifest itself the skink disappears beneath the sand as though by magic not infrequently burrowing down to a depth of several feet even at the present day the skink is esteemed by the arabs both for medicine and food and in the latter association well broiled has won the commendation of european palates one of the most bizarre members of the skink family hails from australia where it is known as the stump-tailed lizard 
The most remarkable feature in this form is the shortness and roundness of a caudal appendage, the contour and proportions of which, in fact, so nearly correspond with those of the head that it was originally described by its discoverer, Captain William Dampier, just over three centuries ago as a double-headed animal. To quote his own quaint description, the land animals we saw here, Shark's Bay, included a sort of guanos of the same shape and size with other guanos, but differing from them in three remarkable particulars, for these had a larger and uglier head and had no tail, and at the rump, instead of a tail there, they had a stump of a tail which appeared like another head, but not really, such being without mouth or eyes, yet this creature seemed by this means to have a head at each end. A specimen of the stump-tailed lizard is usually on view at the Regent's Park Gardens and will afford visitors an opportunity for its comparison in the flesh with Dampier's description. Fine specimens of the stump-tail will measure as much as ten inches in length and are thick in proportion, the legs, however, being very small and weak. The surface of the back is covered with large overlapping scales that, in conjunction with its customarily dark brown or blackish hue, convey to it a marked resemblance to a long, imbricated fur cone. On the undersurface, the scales are in comparison very small. The coloring in this region is also usually light gray or yellow, variegated with darker reticulations. Stump tails make most good-natured and grotesque household pets. Of two examples which were for some years in the writer's possession, a characteristic photograph is reproduced below. When basking in the sun, the tail often becomes distended to enormous proportions. The internal substance of this abnormally dilated organ consists chiefly of fatty tissue, and it seems probable that it fulfills the role of a reservoir for the storage of nutrient and heating materials to be drawn upon during hibernation. The winter months in the southern districts of Western Australia are cold, and this lizard, in common with other local species, retires during that season into the sheltering recess of a hollow tree stump or rock crevice until the sun is again in the ascendant. The stump tail is practically omnivorous in its habits. In captivity, fruit, and more especially bananas, constitute a favorite diet, but it will also greedily devour worms, beetles, and garden snails, and may consequently be turned to good account as a destroyer of garden pests. Of other Australian members of the skink family, the great cyclotus, or blue-tongued lizard, may be mentioned. This species, which is about 18 inches long, presents no abnormal development of head or tail, as in the form last described. The body is smooth and sub-cylindrical, and with its closely set scales resembles that of a snake. The dominant color is a soft steel or silvery gray, variegated with darker or lighter crossbands and reticulations that are most strongly marked on the sides. The undersurface, by way of contrast, is most usually pale salmon pink. The tongue of this lizard, which gives to it its popular title, is somewhat remarkable. It is large and flat, and of a bright blue tint, resembling nothing so much as a piece of blue flannel. The animal, as it moves about, is in the habit of constantly protruding and retracting its tongue, which consequently constitutes a very conspicuous object. In common with the majority of its allies, the blue-tongued lizard is viviparous, but while the stump tail only produces one at a time, 
which is nearly half as large as the parent, the present form gives birth to as many as ten or twelve. An example in the writer's possession on one occasion presented him with a litter embracing the larger number, and afforded the material for the photograph here produced. As a contrast to the two preceding forms, the spine-tailed lizards, with their short, flat, spiky tails, may be cited as a conclusion to this notice of the skink family. There are nine known members of the same genus, all inhabitants of Australia. The lower of the two forms here figured is especially abundant on one island of the Abrolhos group, off the western Australian coast. This example is represented at about two-thirds of its natural size. It is an interesting fact that an allied but considerably larger species monopolizes a neighboring island of the same group, the two species not intermingling. Probably the larger one would prey on the smaller. The largest member of the genus, known as Cunningham's spine tail, of a uniform black hue, peppered white, is not infrequently brought to Europe, and two examples which were for some years in the writer's possession bred regularly producing eight or ten young at a time for several consecutive years. The fact that these lizards enjoyed full liberty in a heated greenhouse, with a temperature and surrounding conditions closely identical with those to which they were naturally accustomed, no doubt contributed extensively to their fertility. With this group we are compelled by lack of space to close our account of the true lizards, but the reader must understand that only a very few out of an enormous number have been mentioned at all. This is the end of section 22 by Dave Courier.